This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with political science professor, Dr. June Speakman. June Speakman is a political science professor at Roger Williams University in Bristol, Rhode Island, a frequent contributor to local political media, and a candidate for Warren Town Council. We touched on Dr. Speakman's ongoing council race, but focused our discussion on the upcoming statewide elections and all sorts of topics within Rhode Island politics and media. And if you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the Bartholomew Town Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume content. And as you probably know by now, you may find each of our in-depth interviews with Rhode Island politicians, media members, and artists at BartholomewTown.com or RIPodcast.com. Hey, we're in day four of a marathon here. We're doing daily podcasts this week, and we'll have plenty of content coming your way all the way through the election and beyond. The election, of course, on November 6th. Stay with Bartholomew Town all the way through the election. We'll continue to take you deep into the hearts and minds of the candidates and the media that presents them to you. All right, let's get right to it. Very excited for today's guest, Roger Williams University political science professor and Warren Town Council candidate, Dr. June Speakman. Let's start with looking at the Warren Town Council since we're there. What's that like for you at this point? Where are you at in terms of your campaign and how that maneuver is? How many people sit on the Warren Town Council? So there are five people on the council and there are eight candidates running. Four Democrats and four independents, Mm -hmm. no Republicans. Three of the candidates are incumbents. I'm not in that category. I just moved to Warren a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they are likely to win, I would say. So two seats are up for the other five of us to contest. That's fun. It's kind of, you know, an interesting split in the race, if you will. It is. And I'm a newcomer to town. So that's an uphill battle for me. Um, As you know, Rhode Island is... uh, has local loyalties, let's, let's just say. So if right. you grow up in a town, that enhances your chances of success in that town. And I did work in Barrington on the town council for 14 years. That has the asset of being giving me experience, but it is from another community. So we'll see what the voters say about all that. Yeah, especially out there. We saw it with Bob Healy in 2014, right? The Amazing. turnout just based on that local love. That's right. He lived in Barrington, worked in Warren. He won both communities when he ran for governor. Yeah. It's great. That's how it should be in theory. You know what I yeah. mean? If you well, unless you're, you live and work there and you're a horrible person, right? Right. Then That's right. You should be rejected. <laughs> yeah. Um, Warren's, a, what a cool place. Um, there's a great new place. It's not new anymore. The Galactic Theater has been there for That's a few right. years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Potsnap's running. Yeah. Um, there seems to be some movement towards becoming more of this just beautiful, quirky former fishing village, if you will. Right. Gritty is a word that's often used to describe Warren, but certainly there's a big art scene there now, both musicians and um, potters and painters and sculptors. Uh, There's a guy who makes apple cider there. There's Hope and Maine is there with all the makers, um, the kitchen incubator. So it really is quite the scene now and lots of great restaurants too. Yeah. And Will Chef, uh, Chef rather, was there for a long time doing that, you know, but now it has expanded into more of, I guess, the general public's consciousness. And Will is back. He moved away and he's back. So it's great to have him back in town. Yeah. Yeah. Warren's definitely... 
it's it's an interesting uh, access location. I mean, it's not that far from Providence or Newport, but it's somewhat right. intimidating to go there on a whim, I guess. you know. I don't find it intimidating at all, but I live there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. But it has become a bit of a destination for uh, restaurants. A lot of We find a lot of people who are from out of town coming yep. in to restaurants on the weekend. The Warren Walkabout, which is a big street fair next weekend. A lot of folks come in. Blount's Clam Shack is a huge draw in the summer from folks who are out of town. So it really does seem to be working. It's hard with the traffic. There's, you know, the, the we're not like the West Bay with these gigantic highways, but the the East Bay is can be a little bit trafficy. But folks seem to enjoy the scenery while they're yeah. sitting there waiting. If you were on the council, would you? I don't even know if it's within your parameters. Mm-hmm. Address. There's a lot of um, traffic lights on. What is that road? Is that one one fourteen or one thirty six? Right? I'm yeah, Medicom yeah, Avenue. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, just going. I was just a kick you at middle school oh, yesterday yeah. and yeah. Just took way longer than it should in theory for the amount of traffic and the amount of space that there was to get places but then it's those yeah. traffic lights they have studied that for years and because it's a residential area with lots of commercial business as well it's really hard to get rid of those lights you, you've got to regulate the traffic somehow right. it is not a highway at all right at all it's a very dense densely populated area of the state it so sure it's is a tough one it's a yeah. tough one warren also is uniquely situated near the Massachusetts border, I suppose, how can you reap the benefits of Massachusetts, people going to Massachusetts for whether it's marijuana or for any other commodity that a tax incentive to go to Massachusetts. Yeah, well, and Route, Route 103 runs right through Warren and, and into uh, Swansea, I believe it is. Yeah, I think so. And yep. folks use that frequently to get onto the highway or, again, to go into marijuana to go into marijuana yeah. to pick up their Massachusetts. <laughs> I don't know if people are doing that. Is it even legal to bring it back across state lines? That's what I wonder yeah, how, you know, I, how I that would know. work. I don't know. Because you're right there. And, of course, that part of Warren is beautiful. There are lots of farms out there, lots of open space. So that's a whole different kind of Warren when you get to the other end of town. Yeah, the, the, the brooks and the That's narrow right. roads. Yeah, exactly. it's beautiful. That's where the middle school is, right? You were yeah. out there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's um, the 39 towns of Rhode Island, they're all, yeah. they all have a unique element to them. And even within the towns, of course, you can break it down. That's right. Yeah, a really very interesting state. I lived in uh, California before I came here. I've been here a long time now, but uh, I grew up in Boston and never came to Rhode Island. People from Boston don't come to Providence, right? People go to the Cape. They don't come to the beautiful Rhode Island beaches. So it was really quite a discovery when I moved here from California and, and saw what a wonderful and diverse state it is. It really is remarkable. It is. Yeah. I love it here. I mean, there are problems. Obviously, we can get into some of those, too, on the surface yeah. and beneath the surface, of course. But, you know, you do have the diversity of topography, the different institutions, yeah. different cultures that are that are here um, and well-represented yeah. at times. And the microcultures, as you say. Providence has its vibe. Newport has a very different vibe. And, and then if you go down into South County, it's, it's a whole different story as well. So for a small state, you really do have all of these little microcultures. It's really cool. Yeah, and markets in a sense, too. You know, as a musician, right. you know, you can perform... For example, in Newport, Providence, in South County, and yep. expect a completely different crowd, if right. you will. That's you know, right. Because people don't want to drive more than 15 minutes. Exactly <laughs> right. That's true. That's Let's true. zoom out to the entire state here, the gubernatorial race. I don't know how far you want to comment on it, um, yeah. but just in general, we have seen three polls in, the la- in, in recent times. Within the last few days, there's been two polls. One came out today, the Go Local Prov poll that yeah. suggests that Joe Trillo now has 17%, um, and the governor is ahead by 12%. Um, really, the person who's probably freaking out is, uh, continues to be is Alan Fung, yeah. you know, you would have to assume, but... 
where is this race at? So, so I'll, I'll talk uh, with my political scientist hat on and not my Democrat hat, if, if that's okay with I would, you. I would, yeah. yeah, I would <laughs> okay. say that would be... That'd be a good move, good. I would assume. Yeah, that's right. So, so um, these polls are tricky, right? They, yeah. they, um, this one today, if you look at the data, they oversampled in the West Bay, according to what the data that appeared in Go Local Prov, um, and, I, and the West Bay in the northern part of the state. So they may have picked up more Trillo supporters than are actually out there. It's really hard to tell with these small sample sizes um, whether you're accurate. I, I think that it's probably the case, no matter what the specific numbers are, that Governor Raimondo is ahead, and I think it is the case that Trillo is pulling from Fung. He's certainly not going to pull from Raimondo. Right, that uh, idea right. of he's the moderate in this race somehow is you know. I don't know absurd. where people got that idea. Yeah. Uh, he's not a moderate at all. No, not no. whatsoever. Um, I mean, there are some issues that he seems willing to compromise, I suppose, on I, I suppose on a few. Um, but for the most part, he's a hardline Republican Trumpian character. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. He was the chairman of Trump's campaign in the state. So that tells you everything you need to know about his politics, I would say. Right. And uh, we've seen in, in the last few days as well, you know, this story of him allegedly or not even allegedly he did somehow strike nick a young nick yes. man yellow we've seen this all year though we've seen the the trump boat it crashes now that's a big story this guy has gotten more play for a five percent candidate than yes, anybody in it's, history it's true. it's unbelievable and it starts to render the question of what's going on here i mean i wouldn't put any of the media outlets in the tank with any of the candidates but journalists love a big story so if your right. boat crashes or if you smack nick Mariello in the face that's going to get coverage and you're Right. I mean, denying it or apologizing for it really doesn't matter. It's the fact that Trillo's name is out there and uh, politicians love that. Free media. You don't have to buy those TV ads. You just get them to say your name over and over again. It's great. Yep. And there's no question he's milking that all the way, probably until the general election. Well, and as we've seen with with the, the Trump candidacy, even if you do really bad things, voters can still like you if you have a certain sort of... <laughs> I don't know. Je ne sais quoi, a certain charm, a certain whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's shocking. Um, as far as district 15, um, do you think we're going to have a new speaker come January? So, um, all politics is local as Tip O'Neill used to say, Uh, as you know, that race was very close last time. And I think, uh, the speaker, I, I don't know what he's been doing on the ground in his district. I think he's, as all politicians are, he's a door to door guy and he does, uh, his district is well served by his presence in the house. Um, but again, 20 votes, 30 votes, 50 votes, 78 votes, one way or the other could, could lose it for him. Um, if he is reelected by his voters, will he be voted speaker? I imagine so, although several high-profile Democrats have said they won't vote for him. Right. We don't know how many others are waiting until the after the election to say that, right? So it, it's and, and there's a lot of politics that goes on that you can't see, that the media doesn't see. Uh, people making calls to other people, people showing up at folks' houses to make a pitch for themselves, right? And we the don't see any of that. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So it's it's hard to know what's going on there in terms of the speaker trying to build uh, support among Democrats for his candidacy as speaker. Really hard to know. Fun yeah. to watch. Definitely fun yeah. to watch. It's, I mean, it's definitely... Uh, the you know the impact of it on most Rhode Islanders' lives is significant, but at the same time, where you know at least we have it seems like in Rhode Island we have a decent grip on reality, so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, voters can be forgiven for not paying attention to the 
how powerful the speaker is and what that means in terms of what happens for them. Right. You know, did it affect the POSOX or not? That's a, that's a, that's a sort of a layer down in terms of detail. And, and again, voters can be forgiven for not, not paying attention to all of those sort of inside baseball dynamics. Yeah. Um, the Senate race, is there anything there? I mean, Bob Flanders is a respectable yeah. person in, in, in state and um, is senatorial. I mean, watching their debate in person, being in his presence, he has those qualities. He's come out and said from day one of his campaign, he's not Trumpian. Um, Mm-hmm. Or doesn't intend to be anyway. Yeah. Does he have any shot though against? So he's not Trumpian, right? And he, what he has said, he's given a very good answer to that question. When I I agree with what the president wants to do, I'll support him, and when I don't, I won't, and I'll let him know. And that's a really good, finely crafted answer. He is a, a very talented politician, uh, and he, I. I don't imagine Senator Whitehouse will lose. He's popular in most parts of the state. He's also been working hard on his campaign. Uh, He did have a high profile in the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, That seems to be playing well around the state, although, again, it's really hard to tell um, without polling. But he's way ahead in most of all of the polls that we've seen. So, yeah. I wonder why um, Flanders did not run for governor, right? He most of the positions he takes are on issues that the governor has control over the opioid crisis, for example, or truck tolls. These are things that senators don't work on. Um, And so it is interesting to me that he chose to run for Senate as opposed to governor. Maybe it was too crowded a field this time around. Yeah, maybe, or this is a tune-up for next time yeah, as well. Maybe so. Something yeah. of that nature. Maybe so. Um, yeah, it's... What, yeah, exactly. The mechanics of the Senate don't really allow for a lot of the things that right. he's trying to accomplish. You're, you're absolutely right. That's maybe right. it's just a statewide name recognition. Yeah. I mean, he does have the Central Falls problem. He... he, he yeah. Unions, public sector unions, are not fans of of his. They're not fans of Raimondo's, though, and she managed to win. So right. um, I don't know if he stayed out of the race because he was he was fearful of the unions ganging up on him. Who knows? But right. uh, I, it's a good question. Although the governor did get the uh, Rhode Island chapter of the NEA today, I some, saw that. some rivals that you know yep. really within the within party lines, some significant rivals. I think she's done some work uh, trying to. Uh, get the unions to sort of forgive her for the pension issue. That ha- mm-hmm. That's something that had to be done. Whether it had to be done the way she did it is a good question. But but I do think she's done some work over the past couple of years to try to mend those fences. Yeah. Do you think the optics of her traveling out of state and fundraising the $7 million, I mean, for me, you know, the, it, it comes down to whether or not she's able to function as a governor, not so much whether or not she's also traveling out of state. I have no problem with that, but that seems to be the talking point of a lot of her opponents and Republicans in general now is, hey, she's not here. Do you think that she's aloof? Well, I got that question about Mayor Alorza, who apparently also spends a fair amount of time out of state. And I think what they're doing out of state matters, right? If uh, if they're doing research on how other states handle something, um, if they're trying to get businesses to relocate into the state or the city, I think that's a great use of a governor's time. They shouldn't be here micromanaging departments. That's what they get good department heads to do. If they're out fundraising for themselves, then we get into some questions about whether that's, that's an appropriate use of a governor's time or a mayor's time. Uh, Governor Raimondo is a very talented fundraiser. Uh, folks from outside of the state love to support her in part because she was, uh, in their view, a good treasurer. She handled the pension crisis. That's, again, debatable, depending on which right. side you're on. Um, but it, it, there hasn't been a situation that I can recall where something really bad happened and she wasn't here to address it, right? You don't want to be out of state when there's a, 
a hurricane or a blizzard. And I don't recall that happening. So that's where governors and mayors get really criticized if you're if you're at the beach when something bad is happening, Chris Christie comes to mind. Right. But also Don Cherry returning to Rhode Island from Florida at the station fire. You yes, know I mean? that's You can right. make up for it as well, depending on how you that's handle right. it, I exactly. suppose. Exactly. Exactly um, right. Yeah. With, yeah, with, with this anybody but Gina movement uh, yeah. that's, that's out there, how much of that is sort of like the lock her up people, you know, just, just stupid, you know, how, or how much of it is actually based on fact. Cause I feel like Matt Brown ran a campaign that was in large part a facade more anybody but Gina than actual substance. And then he seemed to lose people as time went on. So a lot of activists pulled back from working with him. A lot of organizations, Bernie Sanders himself did, wouldn't give him an endorsement. So, yeah. you know, how much of, is that a real thing that anybody but Gina movement besides just the knuckleheads who hate the governor for whatever I, reason? I, th- I think that, I mean, Matt Brown's candidacy was unfortunate because he's a very talented politician who yeah. has a lot to offer to the state. I think um, he got in too late and he went too negative too quickly, and um, which is unfortunate because like, I worked uh, on his campaign when he was secretary of state. And I, get, I do think he has a lot to offer and I hope he stays in the arena. Um, I do think he did give an outlet for the anybody but Gina or the frustrated Sanders supporters. That's absolutely true. Now, what are they doing now? Um, I, I am a member. I'm on the executive board of the Women's Caucus of the Democratic Party, which of which there are members who are in that faction of the party. And they are on board with Gina now because the alternatives are not viable, right? right. I mean, they can stay home, but that's not a good option, right? You You, you need to... You need to make sure that the person you don't want doesn't get elected. So exactly. I, I do think that many of the anybody but Gina people who were with Matt Brown have, have come over to the governor's side, albeit perhaps unenthusiastically. Sure. Yeah, we won't see a lot of protest votes for, you know, one of the three other alternative candidates. I mean, if Bob Healy were in the race, that's a different story. But the three alternative candidates are running at, what, a half a percent, one percent? Yes. Um, yeah. And that's because they don't have that Bob Healy thing. Right. That, that, you know, statewide, hey, he ran statewide campaigns before. He was a very prominent person in the East Bay. So none of those three have that. Right. Um, of those three, is there anyone that sticks out to you, though, when, you, you know, just that uh, we're going to see Bill Gilbert on the stage of the next debate? Right. We've yeah. seen Dr. Munoz protesting, um, silent protest at Roger Williams based on his exclusion from that debate. Yeah. And we've seen Ann Armstrong hauled off to jail this week right. as well. I know. So, so. I know. <laughs> well, and I would say that the Ann Armstrong, that's a symbolic, right? She, she has a particular cause and yep. that's a great running for office gives you a big megaphone and that's wonderful. Um, I saw Dr. Munoz at the Women's Fund debate way early in the primary yep. cycle. And, and he was very impressive, very impressive. Again, uh, let's get your name out there and, and stay in the game, right? And I yep. don't know much about Gilbert at all, yep. but, except that he'll be in the debate, so we'll learn more. Right. right. He was just here this afternoon, Wasn't actually. Um, interesting. He's, I'll listen. He's, he's, the, the concern I have with them is that they, they're holding on what I described as wedge issues to him. He didn't like that term, but... Yeah. Um, they just kind of ignore that and they focus on everything else except for the things like abortion mm-hmm. or guns or the things that have become so visceral in society. And I can understand mm-hmm. why you'd want to do that. But at the same time, it yeah. seems like you'd have a breakdown. So are they focusing on mostly administrative issues like Ken Block, who founded the party? He's primarily about how the state runs administratively. Is I that- think a little di- even. Yes, I think so. Um, although I think Mr. I think Mr. Block would probably have a more 
of a systems driven mm-hmm. bill gilbert seems to be more of an a team builder and yeah. and, and less of i not to, not to be critical of him, i'm not sure if he's a micromanager or not but it seems yeah. like ken block would really consolidate the operation a little bit more than what bill gilbert's okay. looking to do that's just my yeah. gut though yeah yeah. And I apologize. I don't more, know more about him. That's well, he, but he's been in in you know remote des- destinations all summer. He was <laughs> okay. in Jamaica during oh. the primary, I guess. So that's something that has been brought up by Dr. Munoz is that hey, I've actually been here campaigning right. just because he's on a a party that's on the ballot. That's you know? those are the other rules, though, right? The rules are the rules. <laughs> the rules, yeah, are the rules. rules. You may yeah. not like the rules. Work to change the rules, right? There are exactly. a lot of rules that could be changed. Yeah, right. And that's that's basically like you say what the the compassion parties two candidates are doing you know yep. in, in this case that's here. right so yeah um with respect to this first student bus strike that we're seeing yeah. in providence i've seen i saw a tweet from sam bell that you know the city should co- be compelling first student to accept the teacher's offers and then we're seeing on the other side you know joe trill saying the hell with them bring in charter buses and, and break off the contract yeah. so we're seeing everything how do you resolve something like this well, that's a really, really good question. If it were easy, it would have been resolved by now, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, when, when I was on the council in Barrington, there was a proposal to privatize the uh, trash collection. I voted against it, uh, in part for the reasons like this, because if you privatize, you have much less control over the labor situation, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, there are reasons that privatization is good and that lots of municipalities do it. This is a good example of where the mayor is sort of an outside third party in this in this debate, in this struggle, um, but he is on the hook for trying to resolve it, right? And, right. and he, But he has no platform except sort of a rhetorical platform. Now, you know, should he go in and throw some cash into the pot to try to get the drivers to, to settle the strike? That's a dangerous precedent, right? Yep. So I I really am at a loss as to what the best thing to do is is here. It's a shame. Yeah, especially with a city that's you know on the verge potentially of leasing their water supply or, or transacting yep. their water supply, whatever the language right. will be. Um, which to me that's also extremely dangerous. I mean, we look at the school bus drivers as just a micro example of what turning over your water supply could turn into. Yeah. So the Providence water that's a different issue in my view. Um, we're a state of one million people. I think one water system, and this is a very unpopular position, I must say, uh, one water system makes a lot of sense uh, to me so that the the cities and towns that are underserved by water can be tied into the bigger system. Mm -hmm. Right now it's on the, the local, the municipalities are responsible for providing their own water and it's tremendously expensive, right? So having a statewide water supply for a state this small makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but again, uh, and that way you could, do, Pawtucket has a brand new water treatment plant. Providence has all that infrastructure. If the state took it over, they could run it in a rational way, make sure that when South County gets dry, they have water available to them. So, you know, and again, we, we in East Bay buy our water from Providence. That's a strange arrangement, right? To buy water from another city that gets its water from the Situate Reservoir. Right. Um, and, and so I would, I would hope that some state official somewhere takes a good close look at statewide water policy. Right. It's like a guy who, you know, leases a building and then sublets that, yeah. and then that person does an Airbnb out of it. That, you know that's I mean? right. That's that right. And everyone makes money except for the, the person at the end of the road. That's right. And Mayor Lorza is in a terrible position with the pensions, and he's trying to find a way to, to fill that hole. Yeah. And um, 
to me, this proposal makes some sense. It's not getting anywhere. Everybody opposes it. And, and so mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it makes sense to me. Very yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if it's a privatized st- central water supply, Suez or whoever it may be comes in. Yeah, and says, let's not go that far. I okay. like the state to control so it. So you still want to yeah, I'm not Yeah, I'm not a fan of private control okay. water supplies. No, Suez is not. Yeah, that's that, my that main issue. No, no, no. Yeah, that Suez has not worked out well for lots of folks in lots of countries, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think a state control water supply is, is makes sense to me. Or, again, heavily re- regulated the way electricity is. But it's an essential resource, right? right. So you've got to have some oversight. And, and people, I mean, it's a right. The right to clean water is, is in my view, a right. Not in the Constitution, but still. Yes. Got to have it. Just an inherent right, maybe yeah. beyond any codified document. Right. You know, you just know exactly. it as a human being exactly. or as a living thing. That, exactly. You, know, you got to have it. You'll yeah. die. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, last kind of area is uh, that I was thinking about was as a professor these days, um, these days as if I'm that I am, but I am <laughs> over 10 years removed from being And things change rapidly on college campuses these days. Absolutely. It, it, they really do. Yeah. Do you find more or less of a general awareness of issues based on the, the uh, because I, when I went to school, it was before I had a flip phone that my mom gave me in case I got, you know, <laughs> oh, trouble. Yeah, exactly. That was me. I was in that. Yeah. I didn't have an iPhone for years after I graduated. Um, obviously, I had the internet and a laptop, or whatever. It wasn't right. like, you know, rotary phone era, but. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but, but I wondered that. I, I truly wondered that, what it's like to go to school now. And um, you used to get a lot more credit for having information at your fingertips in the past because it showed you actually putting the time to read or pay attention or whatever it may be. Um, now it's, but at the same time, it's good that everyone knows more. You would think, well, they need to process it though, right? Students Mm -hmm. are, are are barraged with information, but they need to have time to think. And it's a huge challenge. And you know, when, when I'm in class and we're trying to talk about, say, should we have an electoral college? Or what's the impact of redistricting? And they have their laptops open or their phones under the table. They say they can multitask. They say they can listen to me and play their video game. They cannot, though. Yeah. They cannot. <laughs> because when I ask them a question, they don't have the answer. And, I mean, I can't do it. I'm, I'm a little bit older, but I bet you can't do it either. No, I just I couldn't answer. I didn't have the awareness to, even though I knew you were on your way here, we were doing a taping yeah. right before this with Edward, Edward Fitzpatrick. I knew you were coming here. Part of my brain was watch for my phone, but still... To maneuver the phone and, and be in real and time. And on concentrate on this now. It's, it's, it's hard. It's impossible. So that's one thing about college students these days is that they their their attention is divided in so many different ways and they are, an information overload is an issue. So what they've done now is segment themselves and put themselves in their little bubble, their Fox News bubble, their MSNBC bubble, or no mm. political bubble at all. That's problematic in the classroom because you have students who are hearing things for the first time in class, and a ca- the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. I really saw this in class. Uh, you could tell who watches Fox and who, well, they don't watch whatever they do. Mm. And, and so that's a problem. Now, politically at Roger Williams, the, the campus is not as liberal as some college campuses are. We have a big business school. We have a criminal justice school, which isn't to say those folks can't be liberal, yeah, but, but I get what you're saying. But it, yep. it does. Yeah. It's not like Brown where, you know, you have lots of humanities majors yeah, the there. The new school or ISTE for exactly, sure. You know? Exactly. Right. So, so, um, uh, we do have a good mix of opinions on campus, which is nice. It makes for a good classroom discussion. Mm-hmm. We also have a fair amount of 
I don't care. I hate politics. They're all a bunch of crooks. I don't want to deal with it. Um, so there's probably less activism on our campus than there would be on other campuses. Um, we're also told that this year's, uh, th- this year's freshmen are the first generation th- that have absolutely no memory of September 11th, 2001. I mean, they were, may not have been born even then. That was the year of their birth or something like that. And so the, Sandy Hook is their formative political experience. And uh, you know, what does, does that, we are told they are more anxious and um, they miss home more when they come to a residential campus? And is that because of school shootings or what? So every generation has their own formative childhood experiences that affect how they are when they go away to a college like Roger Williams, a residential school. So it's very interesting to have to deal with different waves of students every year. Mm. Um, not, not happy, though. There's not a sort of joyful, free spirit kind of vibe this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and that is reflected in the times, you yeah. know, I suppose. But yeah. um, hopefully it's not just people being just generally heading in that direction right now. Yeah. You know, I, I, hopefully there's optimal. I see I, I see a good amount of um, activity on the youth side. But you're right. Yeah. I don't necessarily see a joyous. This no. won't be remembered as a time no, of laughter in the streets. And, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I have told them that I expect them to vote. Some of my colleagues think that professors shouldn't do that. But I consider it my obligation. Um, and I said, just going to a protest and posting on Facebook is not enough. You really have to do you have to vote. Uh, contact your politicians, too, because not all of them go to the protest or watch Facebook but but you really do need to vote. Uh, and, and that's difficult for college students, as you know, especially at a school like Roger Williams or Brown, where students are coming from out of state. It's yep. not easy to get an absentee ballot still. They don't know what a stamp... Well, they do know what a stamp is, but they don't have one. And right. so so I'm trying to make it easier for them, them. And we do... My department does a little bit of civic education on campus. Yeah. And I can't yeah. stand it when I hear people say, oh, well, we shouldn't, you know... You shouldn't make it easier for people to be election. You should wake up and go in on Tuesday morning yeah. just like I did. And I just think that that's the craziest approach yeah. to things because you really need to have the sample size of as many people as you can. First yeah. of all, it should be a national holiday. Mm-hmm. Get rid of Columbus Day. I maybe. agree. And, but this idea that, yeah, someone shouldn't be able to help someone go through with their civic duty to vote is yeah. just – and I'm hearing it all the time. I mean you hear it here mm-hmm. against Secretary of State Gorbea. You hear it against the Board of Elections. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's reasonable charges that you might hear from a Ken Block, but other times it's just hysterics. Well, and there's a partisan element to that, right? You know the political science on this. You had Maureen Moakley, so you know how <laughs> yeah, it goes. And the, the higher the turnout, the better it is for Democrats. So oh, wow. any anything that makes it easier to vote tends to benefit Democrats, right? Yeah. Um, now, this year, I think Democrats are fired up enough that they're going to go out and vote anyways. But in other years, you know, voter registration drives, get out the vote, those tend to push up Democratic turnout. So folks who resist that stuff tend to not want the best for Democrats on Election Day, let's just say. Sad but true. Yep. Sad but true. It's the nature of the beast in it Rhode is. Island. There's yeah. such a small opposition party. Yeah. I think that's a that's a danger that the the lack of a Republican party here ironically is dangerous in a sense that the, the opposition voice isn't significant. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, politics is about partisan competition. And if you just have one voice, that's not healthy for anyone. Folks don't know what the alternatives are. Right. And of course, the Democratic Party in Rhode Island is really two different parties. Right. It's it's the conservatives and the progressives. And many of the conservatives, if you give them an issue checklist, they will sound more like Republicans. So um, it's unfortunate that we have that here because it does muddy the waters um, a lot. And, yeah. and it would be I would love to see a vibrant Republican Party, especially I mean, my college Republicans at Roger Williams, they they want somewhere to go, right? They want 
campaigns to volunteer for. They want right. an organization that they can align with. So I'd, I'd love to see a much more vibrant Republican Party. Yeah, I think if it weren't for his personal troubles, his financial troubles and all that business, Feroshi's campaign was quite compelling based on blockchain. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a certain brand of person that is just going to despise somebody with that kind of military background <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. But, but at least it was based on ideas and at mm-hmm. least it was based on here's a plan, you might hate my plan, let's go toe-to-toe on the plan versus now where you have Joe Trillo calling Alan Fung a mamby-pamby, then you go to uh, Alan Fung back, you know, this this circus sideshow, essentially. Yeah, yeah, it is unfortunate. Now, you know, to, to Governor Raimondo's credit, she talks a lot about issues, right? And, yep. and I think it, it, it's the Fung, well, you were at the Roger Williams debate? I was, yeah, yes, it, yep. So it's, it's the... It's the fun Trillo dynamic that's weird, right? Where yeah. they're calling each other's names and, and the governor's <laughs> trying to talk about issues, the issues that she chooses to talk about, of course. And, and so it is unfortunate that, that now, you know, blockchain, I, I try to understand it and I can't, but I, I get it. <laughs> it's far, yeah, it's far off, but at least it's something on the table, you're right? And it's, that would be an interesting debate. But, sure. but you know, but what we have now is the governor looked quite confident, um, chose the right suit. She was situa- situated in the middle yeah. of the podium. They and were yelling just, across were, her. Just <laughs> it, was, it yeah. worked out great, and she That's didn't right. have to do or say anything to come across as the most qualified person. That's in my right. Opinion, That's so. right. And there'll be another debate this week, right next uh, week, Monday. Yeah. yeah. And then That's the great. then the Channel Ten debate is I think November first or something yeah. like wow. that. So wow, good. Then people it's vote. Good. Yeah, it's good. It's good to see the governor debating. I mean, it's a whole different dynamic in the general. Right. Right. And Alan Funk, too. He, cho- he chose to sit out the debates in the primary, so it's nice to see them up there on the stage. Yeah. yeah. I did attend his debate at the John DePietro show in the, uh-huh. in the phone booth, um, but it wasn't a debate until the very end. It yeah. was just a forum going back and mm-hmm. forth. It was, it was pretty soft in yeah. a sense. So. Yeah. yeah I don't okay. know. Um, any final thoughts here as we head into uh, this will be out next week, so we've basically three weeks till election day yeah, for yourself well, and in general. I mean, my, to you, I say thank you for the work you're doing. You do these long-form interviews with, with uh, people up and down the ticket, and that's really great because it's really the local media, as you know, is way under-resourced, and it's so so sad. The Providence Journal does its best, and the local papers do their best, but but it's a hard row for them, and it's great to have voices like yours in this mix. So I, I do wish you luck with this uh, because it it's so really much. important. It's a great source of information for voters to have you talking to electeds and journalists and all kinds of other folks this long. So keep up the good work. Thank you so much. I'm, I, as I said, I'm super passionate about it. Yeah, and um, I wasn't, when I started this, I didn't know to what extent it would be. Would it be a monthly thing or how, what would it even be? I just wanted to explore broadcasting and now it's, it's expanded yeah, to something great. that I really want to pursue. I think with that, there's a, there's a need for more platforms that aren't, advertiser right. driven That's and right. there are some I mean what then someone said, well, wait a second how you how are you gonna make money as a media artist, you know, or as a media personality or in, in media without advertisers. I'm not saying you wouldn't have them but there has to be a better balance than what we're seeing now, too. Yeah, you know? and, and again, my hope for you and for all the people who do work in this field is that somehow a business model emerges that allows you to pay your bills because this is essential kinds of journalism, and I thank you for that. And, and about the election, you know, folks need to just pay attention, get all the information they can, and, and get out and vote. It's a really important election this year. And, you know, the most important one is at the national level with the House and the Senate, but the local elections matter, too. 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. unfortunately, in Rhode Island, for I mean, for, depending on your perspective, in Rhode Island, we have that's pretty much locked up on on the national stage. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, it is. But yeah, and so to your listeners in other states, yep, <laughs> the millions of them out there, I right. would urge them to vote. I mean, if the House flips, that means our Representative Cicilline moves up in the leadership chain, um, which is great for him and great for us. So uh, I I do hope folks in other states have voices like yours, telling them to helping them get informed about politics. As always, thank you for listening to the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.